love it. I think it's a great idea. And I think anytime you get guys talking about their past and their relationships with their family, I think it's a really good thing. It's like, to be honest, I think the stereotype is kind of true that, that men don't really typically talk about those things. So I think it's good, especially if there's there's negative things involved. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's good to kind of tease those out because it's all part of the process. So I think it's, it's awesome you're doing it. Tervetula, which is welcome in Finnish, which don't let me confuse you. We're not finished yet, but welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the host and creator of the Daddy Unscripted podcast. I'm really excited again. Yes, as I always am with an episode. I actually, to tell you the truth, when I sit down to record an episode with a guest, as I'm leading up to all of that, having the emails back and forth, and I see it on my calendar, and I know it's time to record that day, I do really and truly get very excited about it because it is a really cool thing for me to be able to have these conversations with all these very interesting dads and learn something and take something away from all of them. And this guest is no exception to that rule. This is John Loomis, who is one of the co-founders and the chief financial officer, the CFO for Baseballism. That's right. Baseballism. You heard me correct. That is the name of the company. It is amazing. Make sure even right now, if you want to keep listening to this little intro while you are searching it, you can do that or you can look after this episode is over. But make sure you either check out Baseballism on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on the internet, on their website, in a store near you. They are such a cool clothing and other accessory company. I really love this company and I'm so excited that I was able to reach out and make this happen with John and to figure it out for us to record tonight and talk about his family history, his dad, him being a dad, all of that. So before we get to the episode, let me remind you though that the Daddy Unscripted podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast Network. And let me have somebody else tell you a little bit more about that. Osiris. Hey, this is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics. Check them out for all kinds of new music, news, and information. Okay, and now that that part of the business is done and taken care of, let's get right to my conversation with John Loomis. All right, we are here today with John Loomis. John is the Grand Magistrate of Finances in and baseballism, uh, which for those of you, uh, I know I have a lot of people who love baseball that listen to this show. So if somehow, which I can only think of, you are not on social media is the only way that you have not seen or heard of baseballism because you guys have kind of exploded over the past what maybe year and a half now year. Yeah, I mean, the company was was 
founded about five years ago, but the last two years in particular, we've really taken off. So I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, people in the baseball world and community on social media have probably heard of us over the last two years. Yeah, it's it's awesome too. Like seeing so many athletes wearing your guys' shirts or whatever in locker rooms and when they're out and about, it's it's a testament to to how far the reach has started to go. It is. And that is very validating when we see professional athletes wearing it. And, you know, we don't pay professional athletes, right? So it's, it's, they wear it because they truly want it. Um, and that makes it all that much more special. So we don't endorse people and, um, you know, we'll certainly send things to someone for free if they're interested, but it's just really validating when you see, you know, Justin Turner or Andrew McCutcheon or somebody wearing a product that you designed and made and sold, um, because they like it and they think it it connects with them in a in a positive way, uh, that's super validating and it makes all the hard work definitely worth it. I'm sure I I can only imagine the excitement of different people, whether they're fans of that player or that team. When I mean, it's yeah, it's that utmost validation from the highest pinnacle that you could think of in the sporting world to see the athletes out and about wearing it, not just like. I mean, you see the guys, you know, after, let's just take it, and this isn't just because I'm a Red Sox fan, but after the Red Sox won the World Series 2018 champions, um, they are all throwing on their shirts and their hats. And, you know, I always think personally, and I'm sorry, MLB, but I've never really loved a lot of the designs that they've done for that stuff. And so I'm always thinking in my head, they're they're never going to wear that hat again. There's no way. They are being paid or being told, you need to put this hat on immediately. You see the people running around and handing them to them immediately. But seeing people, you know, out in their everyday lives, these athletes wearing uh, baseballism gear is is pretty cool. Yep, it is. It is. We, you know, when we first started this company, that was a dream of ours was that the company and, and the brand would be right, would be recognized and accepted by that, that tier of athletes. So it, I think we've mission accomplished so far, even though we have a long ways to go, we're, we're feeling pretty good about it. So we're going to splinter off into that some more in the end, I'm sure. John, I reached out to, I'll just put this out there. I reached out to baseballism through the website, actually through the contact us section and took a look at who some of the people were that were involved what i usually do to see if any of them are actually dads and um, was very excited when the connection was made uh, between us in order to make this happen and we were able to kind of put it together pretty quickly and fortunately very close to the end of baseball so it still feels like we're in that baseball excitement while they're handing out all those awards right now and everything. So thank you for coming on so quickly and making this happen. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So we will go back into your history of your line, whether that be back to your grandfather or just back through your dad and get some of that history on how you got to be here. Absolutely. So my, I guess from the, I'll start from the beginning and we'll just kind of go from there. So I was uh, born in Monterey, California in a, on a military base. So I'm a military brat. Uh, Mm. Fort Ord was the military base that was there at the time. It's no longer there, but my dad was, uh, my mom and my dad were stationed there. So 
so my dad could be in language school. He was learning Italian because he was going to be deployed to Naples. He was part of the JAG Corps, so he was a military lawyer. And this was, you know, when I think back, it's kind of odd, but that was 19, you know, early 1980s, and that was the height of the Cold War. So really, my dad was being deployed to go to, you know, Europe as part of that campaign. And I was born on that military base, and when I was four or five months old, we flew out, and I grew up in Naples, Italy for the first um six years of my life uh, roughly wow so and, you know it's and i that's a part definitely part of my my narrative in terms of like my early childhood but you don't retain a lot during that, you know the first five six years of your life i mean i think it influences you in a way but um i have some very early memories of that of that experience but I, it wasn't like i was going through you know my entire adolescence overseas but it was definitely it was definitely part of the story for me and you know being a, a military family, it, I think you kind of get exposed to certain things and, and you go about life in a certain way that you think is normal um, and, and is normal for military life. And then, but once you get out of it and you start meeting other friends who aren't in the military circle, you realize, um, you know, life is much, much different <laughs> outside of that stuff. We moved back to the, to the States uh, roughly 1987 or 88, I believe. Um, and we landed in Portland, Oregon, and I've been there ever since. Wow. Um, my dad, he was um, still part of the military, but he was doing it on the side. It was he was in the in the reserves at that time, and he uh, practiced law, uh, became a uh, partner in a law firm in Portland, and you know, kind of just I grew up basically, you know, in upper middle class kind of a neighborhood, and got exposed to some good schools. I went to public school in the Portland area. I didn't do private school, and I actually really appreciated that. I, I feel like it was a great exposure to you know how diversified the world really is, um, how how different people are, and um, I was actually one one thing that I want to carry on for my kids is you know even if you can afford private school, and everyone has different opinions about this certainly, but I, I really think it's important that uh, my kids experience. The, the public school experience and have that for their learning. Again, you're, you're not just, it's not just the books, it's you're learning about people um, and how, how different people are. I couldn't agree with that more, I will say, John. No, it's good. As someone who went to private school, I will say, not only, I mean, my school was different and individual and my experience was different and individual, but the running joke of our school was always that you were not prepared for college and you really it kind of showed in the success rate of a lot of the students in going to college and how many of us ended up in a junior college situation because mm. we just didn't get a lot of that prep work but as well as in my private school experience we had the two extremes i mean there were you know obviously there was some gray areas there isn't almost everything, but there were a lot of the people who were there believing the same system as their parents who were there in private school for a reason and the kids who were sent there as punishment because they got kicked out of public school. Right. So, yeah, I, I applaud you in that decision-making process. <laughs> and, I, you know, my kids are still younger, but, yeah. but my wife and I are pretty much on the same page. I think, again, I think that, that path just makes the most sense mm-hmm. for them and for us. Uh, so kind of going, I guess, staying, staying back in the beginning, my, so the relationship with my dad, I've always had a great relationship with my dad. He, 
you know, when you, we don't, it's funny cause I don't actually don't have a ton in common with him, if that makes sense. I mean, hmm. I, mm-hmm. I'm very, I, I always was, I'm always been athletic. I played sports my entire life very social. I had a ton of friends growing up and just was just that, that was important to me. Um, and staying, staying connected with those friends. I, I mean, some of my best friends today are, are the ones that I met playing t-ball with. And, and that's a rare thing for sure. But, uh, it's also, you know, something that's important to me, uh, to build lifelong friendships and to not, not that my father didn't have friends, but, um, I think his, his focus was very, he was very career oriented. I think it was hard because they, even before I was born, my father and my mother moved around quite a bit. And so I think he just mm-hmm. never had roots and never really connected long-term with people. And he wasn't very athletic. He, he was uh, more into music in his early life. And so we didn't have a lot of those same common ground, that same common ground, but we did have a couple things that overlapped that helped our relationship. And it actually goes back to, to trading cards. So I, I traded baseball cards quite a bit when I was younger, it was an important part of my childhood. You know, it was, you know, t- talking about the early to mid nineties, you know, baseball cards, football cards were very popular back then. Um, not so much anymore, but it's coming back. It is. And I actually love that. And I, I'm excited to get into it with my son who's five. now. And mm-hmm. I think he's really, he's going to do well with it. We were actually getting the, the baseball cards out of the attic just the other day. And he was so excited just to go through them. I mean, he doesn't know any of these players, but it's just cool right. to look and feel and touch and, and he, you know, have him hear me tell stories about these players. And that's exciting part of the experience. Yeah. But so the overlap, I, I was into baseball cards. My dad actually collected stamps and I think there's a little bit of a connection there. I mean, you're, you know, he was really a history buff. And he collected stamps in very specific regions of Africa. And he was just, he, he was interested in the history of Africa, colonial, colonial Africa, and just the history of, of how it evolved. And he started collecting stamps in certain areas. And that was his ability to connect to the history. And in a way, it's a little bit, it's, it's kind of similar with trading cards of all sorts. I mean, with baseball cards, I... I definitely was attracted to the players who were playing at that moment and wanted to, you know, I needed that Chipper Jones rookie card. I needed that Deo Nomo rookie card, whoever it was. But it was really cool to get an old, you know, an old card from, you know, the 60s or the 70s and and to know the history, understand the history. Like, who was this player? Why were they important? What did they do? What team did they play for? Did they ever win a World Series? I mean, they just, that's like your portal into the history of that sport. Um, and stamp collecting was the same thing for him. So we had, we had some common ground there and that was actually really helpful for us. That's awesome. Yeah. That was very similar to my brother and I and sharing that with our dad. He was, he had been a Dodgers fan when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers for whatever reason, being a California native. And then, you know, he had the very perfect setup with them moving to LA to his home basically And so he remained a very strong Dodgers fan and he would always tell us about, you know, these old Junior Gilliam and all these players that we knew nothing about and had never seen play or anything like that. But it was cool. I always remember really working hard to get some of those old um, 50s and 60s Dodgers cards whenever I could get my hands on them that he would just be so excited about. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a lot of fun. And I, you know, I think my dad, he tried to get me into stamps. I remember, you know, and I was, and I tried to be into it too for a while, but, um, 
I always just kind of gravitated back towards the the athletics and and the sports and the football cards and the baseball cards and mm-hmm. but it was good. I mean, I think in addition to just the collecting, I think what's it's what was cool about it. It built a few. It built some disciplines. I mean, when you're into trading cards, you learn about negotiation, you learn about organization, you learn about preservation, how to how to value something, how to find someone who wants it, and then figure out what do they have that I want. I mean, that is actually those are skills that are really that bargaining skill is really valuable, and it translates later in life, you know, into business or whatever it is you want to do, or just day to day interaction. So I think there was some residual benefit of just being involved in, in cards mm-hmm. and i saw my dad he was very meticulous about how he organized the stamps um how he how he stored them how he talked about them he would go to uh, stamp shows huh. and he would he would uh, he would enter into competitions and and try to win medals and uh, i just would would go with him a few times and just watching him that was you know that was how he kind of taped the hobby in that direction and it was really interesting to see him go that way. I mean, and my dad's, you know, he's more, he's very academic. He's, he's very, he's an intellectual, um, by all, all standards. And that's always kind of how I remember and will always remember my dad is he's a book smart guy. He he knows how to talk, he knows how to negotiate. And I could kind of see that manifest itself and, you know, in stamp collection and in his career. And he was very proud about all those things. So that was definitely an influential kind of part of my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I remember my brother and I also tried at one point uh, when we were kids to collect stamps. And again, it, like you were saying, it lasted for a little while, but I, I just think there was not that connection for us. It didn't really, and I like history and I know my brother doesn't hate it or didn't when we were kids, but there definitely was that connection to sports and, you know, watching somebody play and then even getting out your cards and flipping back and looking at their stats and starting to let all that just completely take over. (laughs) Most of your memory power was, you know, this guy's up and I know that he hit 315 last season with whatever, however many stolen bases. And yeah, can't really do that with stamps. No, 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 it doesn't have that (laughs) impact. I mean, I think, yeah, I I don't know. I remember my dad, he had books and books and books of just, you know, references, stamp references, right? So he would be just, this is, you know, back in, before computers were really, you know, driving a lot of that stuff. And he was just had bookshelves full of these indexes where he would look these stamps up and understand where they're from and what's important about them. And it was just very, yeah, you had to kind of go to the the next level if you wanted to know more about that stamp. And that was kind of not as appealing to me. I like to, I want my stats on the back of the card. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stamp collecting, like, I've always called myself a baseball nerd and no offense to your dad, but I think if you're a, uh, that's a philatelist, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's the proper turn for it. But somebody who collects stamps like that is taking it to another level. If they're doing it the quote unquote right way, like that is absolutely like you are Indiana <laughs> Jones as a school teacher. Yeah, that, that pretty much sums him up, actually. I like that. Good, good analogy, yeah. <laughs> really? Well, there's no, your dad should feel no shame in that. Not at all. No, he'd be very proud of that. <laughs> and I'm sure it was it, like you talking about his connections or the lack thereof in comparison to yours with other kids and with other relationships with people. I'm sure it was extremely, because I my immediate thought was, 
well, he was in the Marines though, but he, so he should have like all these connections, but I am basing this on my complete ignorance, but Mm. I would assume that as a lawyer and as a, as a member of, I I don't know how to properly say this, but as a JAG, is that how you would say that? Yes. Yep. That that would be a completely 100% unique experience from what a lot of the other Marines are experiencing with other people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, again, I, I can't speak completely for him. I mean, I, I didn't go through it, but I, I mean, that's the sense I get is it was, a. I mean, he's, yeah, I mean, certainly you're, you're doing drills and you're still part of the, you're still part of the unit in a, in a huge way, but it's, it's a different, I think it's a much different experience and your day-to-day work is much different. And so, yeah, I think it, you bond with other people who went through that experience and he's still connected with people that were, part of the the jag community but um you know he he wouldn't be able to connect with the military with military personnel you know who are maybe day-to-day like on grunts or you know you know on the ground uh, foot soldiers i mean that just wasn't his experience yeah i mean it was a, a good enough position that they did make a tele a network television program about yes, it they did. yes they did i think it did very well <laughs> Yeah, that was on for a lot of years. I don't think I ever watched any of them. Don't tell your dad. <laughs> I, did, I didn't either. So we're there. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so just so we can fill in some of the blank areas, what year was your dad born? Oh, 1950. <sighs> oh, I should know. Four, I believe. Okay. So he is, so he's 64. Yeah. Yeah. That's on. Or depending on when his birthday is. Oh, your dad's young. <laughs> he is. I mean, he had me young. I'm 35. And. Oh, yeah. You guys are just pops. Yeah. He was, yeah. He was late 20s when he had me. So that makes sense. Yep. I think 54 is correct. Okay. And are you an only child? No, I have an older brother, actually. Um, okay. He is four years older than me. And he he lives in Atlanta, Georgia. He has three kids. Hmm. You know, my brother and I, and we just we were never that close, actually. Hmm. But part of it's the age thing. Uh, you know, he he basically was out of high school. He was leaving high school as I was getting into high school. Um, you know, very little interests overlapping, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I was very I was hyper focused on my own life. You know, I was baseball and football and. You know, I was really into just the social scene and, and, you know, he was doing his own thing. We wouldn't, we wasn't never adversarial with him, but, uh, just definitely had different interests. And when he, when he graduated high school, he, he was a very, my brother's not, he's an extremely intelligent guy and he got, he went to Georgia tech university to go into the aeronautical space engineering program. Um, Oh, wow. All you have yeah, to say is right? engineer. And then you throw all those other words on it and you're yeah, like, oh boy. Um, but that was, you know, that was his path. So he left and he, he literally, I mean, it was one of those things he left and he never came back. And it wasn't a bad, you know, it wasn't like he, it mm-hmm. was like he said, hey, I'm out of here. Screw you guys. It was just that was, he just kind of landed in, in the Georgia area. He ended up meeting his future wife there and settled and, and just never kind of came back. Mm-hmm. And so I never had really like a really strong relationship with him. He's a great guy, and and we talk every once in a while. But yeah, that, and that's that's and that's obviously something you recognize. I think you're very conscious of that. A lot of my friends are super close to their siblings, and I just never had that experience. When you say that you and your dad didn't have a lot of things in common, 
was that similar for your brother or did they have yeah i told i think they they had more overlap for sure mm. yeah i just it, things like i remember my brother and my dad would build rockets together you know like they they spent a lot of time on model airplanes and 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 kind of mm-hmm. doing that kind of thing and i was like well who wants to go play catch you know in the backyard right mm-hmm. uh, and so that was that's kind of the if i had to paint a picture that's pretty much how it looked but again, you know, it was, it was never adversarial or, or bad or anything like that. It just, we had totally different interests. Right. And I mean, it, it's funny because clearly you all share like-minded brains because the work that you do um, and have done in the past is obviously very highly intellectual work, but they maybe just weren't, they weren't in the sports side that you were on. For sure. I mean, so I, I've been in the finance and accounting world for, gosh, going on 14 years now. Mm-hmm. I've always been attracted to numbers. I, will, I won't claim that I was a really a great math student or anything, but uh, I thrived and did very well in the corporate finance world for many, many years. So before I started my business, uh, baseballs and before we we kicked this off about five years ago, I was in the academic medicine world. I, I worked for an academic medicine, uh, I'm sorry, academic hospital in Portland. And I, and I spent my entire career there and I, and I started at the ground floor and literally was punching numbers into a spreadsheet it was my first job right out of college. And, and I, by the time I left, I was the director of finance for the entire hospital and clinic and clinics. And I, it was a wow. multi-billion dollar hospital. And so I, I put a lot of time and effort into that career, which made leaving it even that much harder. I, le- I left on great terms, and I still to this day talk to a, to the CFO. And when I left to do entre- more entrepreneurial things, it was hard because I'd really fallen in love with the work and, and the people and the organization. But yeah, it was very technical. It was technical in nature. It certainly was. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool that you guys, obviously, that your dad and you have such a good relationship without having the, you know, that's been kind of a common thread with a lot of my guests has been the fact that the guest and their dad have this connection, whether it's through multiple things, you know, a lot of them it's been through multiple things and with a lot of them, it has been sports or music or something like that. So it, it is a, a little bit refreshing as kind of odd and off the wall as it sounds to have somebody on who is talking about having that great relationship that doesn't rely on something like that as the tie that binds them together. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Which I think is a, if I'm going to take that a step deeper and really try to hang my, uh, Lucy, the doctor is in (laughs) box on the front lawn Uh for a second. I think that that should be absolutely a more common theme and thread for relationships across the board. Obviously, like I, I can't not be friends with somebody who doesn't share my passion for sports or music or film or whatever it may be. Like we can still hang out and we don't have to have something that we both are going to yeah. go nuts oh, about. Huge, huge. I totally agree with you. Uh, that that's a hundred percent true. And I, I mean, I would even take a step further. I think it's, it's really, you know, you look at kind of this, I don't, I hate to get, I'm not going to get political, but if you look at the state of, of where we're at, I mean, people are so polarized and they feel like they can't have common bonds with people because they have, they, they don't connect over certain subjects. I mean, 
my dad and I have different political views. We have different um, religious views and economic view. I mean, we, there's a lot of things we don't see anywhere close to, but we we have a great relationship and we talk mm-hmm. about other great things or we are able to have a meaningful conversation about the things we do disagree with. You know, he, he may not be able to convince me otherwise and vice versa, but, um, you know, no one's throwing any, no one's, you know, storming out of the room, throwing anything. It's just, it's all cordial. And right. that's, that's a really important skill to have is being able to disagree or not have something in common, but still enjoy someone, love them and be able to carry on with them. Imagine that. Yeah, right. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, it is, it, it is worth saying, like, there is so much of that going on right now, obviously on the because of politics and because of the i mean you nailed it with that word the polarization of this current god i'm just gonna say this current president or whatever the structure of the government um that is absolutely you know i've talked about this with people on and off this podcast all the time that you know you see people ending friendships ending family relationships because they can't see eye to eye. And, you know, I've seen the people who post things and say, if you are, I don't care if you're a family member, if you agree with Trump or whatever, like we can't be friends, period. It's weird. And so that is tough. I mean, it is good to think about that fact that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know where to go with that because I, no. I do know some people who have done that then that are lovely people that I love deeply. Yeah. And, um, you know, they just feel how they feel very strongly and I'm not going to tell them to feel differently. No, I guess. I but mean, I, I think the, I, I know I totally agree with you and I've, I see it as well. And I think the reaction, people's reaction should be, let's, let's go talk to more people and figure out why they feel that way without being adversarial. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, fi- let's get more, let's figure, let's figure this out. Let's understand where people are coming from as opposed to just rejecting it and saying this, you know, you are absolutely wrong and now you're wrong. Not just, you know, if we disagree on this, we must disagree on everything and I don't want to talk to you. That's just a, that makes the problem way, way worse. Yeah. And it, it has made me sad for the people that have lost those relationships due to the fact of something that's I I, I want to say out of their control. I mean, I know we have a voting system, et cetera, et cetera. It's in somebody's control, but like I was best friends with you and we used to do all of these things together and we've been best friends since we were 10, but now I can't even talk to you anymore because yeah of the fact that you or I think differently on this subject is just kind of a bummer. What, whatever that subject may be, like if you're religious, if you're a um, born-again Christian and you absolutely cannot have any friends that are atheists, then that's it might be time for some soul-searching. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, no, I'm right there with so we're just bringing people together right now with this podcast. We're going deep. I mean, we're covering a lot of ground right here, Tim. (laughs) I thought we were just going to talk about t-shirts and hats. (laughs) Um, But we have just, we have just bonded Russia and China (laughs) or something like that. So, okay. What I was filling in some of the blanks on your dad. So he was born in 54. 
and you were born when he was young. Are when your mom and dad met on the base? You were saying uh, no, 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 no. They no, okay. So my parents actually met when my dad was an undergrad. They met in um, Spokane, Washington. They actually, and I, I don't think they care if I said this, but they actually uh, they got married because my mom got pregnant with my brother. So. They now they they're still married today. Um, and they have a great relationship, but you know that's that's a reality. That's a real thing. You know, they, yeah, it's, yeah. They, Sorry, mom and dad. Yeah. The secrets out. They uh, they had the shotgun wedding <laughs> thing, and it, it you know it worked for them. They are very happily married and together. And mm-hmm. but yeah, that's just it's just that's a factoid that I that I think is interesting because they you know when I think about that that drove a lot of their behavior on how they raised my brother and I because they never wanted that to happen to us mm-hmm. my mom was very protective of my relationships in high school and I actually ended up marrying my high school sweetheart oh. <laughs> so which is actually interesting but my mom was was very hypersensitive to you know, sex before marriage and, and don't, you know, don't get anyone pregnant. And she's, cause I think in the back of her mind, she just knew that that's the route she went. And, and, um, although it turned out, she's like, she didn't want us to get locked into that, which I appreciate. That's, that's absolutely sage advice, mm-hmm. but that definitely, that impacted their psyche and, and on the conversations they had with us and, and the things that were important to them when they were raising us. They should be proud of that. I mean, that's a, especially in today's day and age that is a oh yeah definite success story like coming out of that and going the distance very yeah it's i mean it's you're beating the odds for sure it's uh, more often than not that's not going to work yeah and um i just got my payment from field of dreams for using one of their catchphrases <laughs> i think so, it goes away. i think you have to pay them actually oh shoot <laughs> I've been dropping all of these catchphrases from movies and waiting for the checks to pour in and all these weird phone calls from lawyers I've been avoiding. Yeah. So, yeah. It'll catch up to you one of these days. Yeah. So then you are, uh, we'll segue fantastically right into that. You are in high school and you met your wife there at high school. What what grade were you guys in when you started dating? She's older than me. I was a junior in high school. She was a senior. And, oh, she's, I mean, she was, I mean, she still is. She's dropped it gorgeous. She was the the most beautiful woman I ever saw. And I saw her. And then we went on our first date. I couldn't believe that I even landed a date with her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because, you know, in high school, you know, junior dating a senior is kind of a big deal. It can be. Oh, especially the reverse. Yeah. When it's a yeah. junior boy with a senior girl, you are like. Sure. Oh, man, I was on top of the world. And it was one of those things, you know, I. I do. I mean, I really, if my, if my daughter ever came to me her junior or senior year in high school and said, I'm going to marry this boy, I, mm-hmm. I am not having any of it. It's not, it's yeah. just, it doesn't work. I mean, there's just the reality is that those things are just so, it's just not practical. The, you know, the data tells us it just typically doesn't work out, but there was something, and I'm a practical guy, and my parents, you know, were very involved in my life, and I wasn't looking to fill any voids. But I met this woman, and I said, "I, ha- I have to marry this woman." Mm-hmm. And I just, I knew it kind of really early on. And she went to the University of Oregon her senior year, so she graduated, moved to, uh, went on to college, which is about two and a half hours ish drive south of Portland. And I just, I, I said, I'm going to make this work. So I drove down 
as often as I could to be with her to make the long distance thing work while I, my senior in high school, which is, I mean, insane. I mean, I could have been having so much fun, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in high school, but I was, I was on the road visiting her as much as I could. And I had really, before I met her, I really wanted to go play baseball at Washington State University because that's where my grandfather actually played baseball. He was a knuckleball pitcher hmm. back in the 40s. No way. For Washington State. And so I, and I, you know, grew up loving baseball and I was, I was, you know, Washington State University is a division one program. I do not claim to be a division one baseball player, but I think I could have given it a good run. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I told myself that I was going to make a run at Washington State and try to walk on a team or, or get picked up by them. But when I met her and she went to the University of Oregon, I said, I'm going to follow her. And I just ended up going to U of O and we just never looked back. That's so cool. So did you play baseball there? I did. I played. Now, the University of Oregon doesn't have, did not at the time have a Division One baseball team, They but they had a club team. And that is where I met all of my current business partners and many of my current friends was playing on that club team. It was, it was an, it was a really cool experience because, you know, club sports, it's, you know, student ran everything, you know, you're cobbling together teams. You don't have any money. You, you don't have any facilities to to practice or play off of, but you just make it work, you know? And it was a great experience because you had to make it all work yourself. So it just taught so many great skills and, we ended up joining my um, my sophomore year in college, I believe it was. We joined what's called the NCBA, which is the National Club Baseball Association. And it was, gosh, I want to say the league, the NCBA was maybe three, four, five years old at the time. And the president called me up and, and I was running this. I was the manager of the club team at Oregon at the time. And he called me up and says, hey, do you want to join this league? And I said, sure. And we joined. And it was a great experience because we ended up winning our division and then we went to the regional tournament in Ogden, Utah and beat the defending national champions, Weber State, and then went to the NCBA World Series in Bradenton, Florida. And it was just like crazy. Wow. You know, a bunch of kids from Oregon get into the World Series their first year. We didn't do well when we got there, but it was such a great experience. We had to play on a major league, you know, spring training facility and hung out at the beach, played baseball. Um, it was so much fun. And then what that what happened after that was we started this dynasty of Oregon Club Baseball. Just, I mean, we went to the, the World Series for like 10 years in a row. So well after I graduated and well after some of my younger teammates at the time after they graduated, the, the club team continued to do really well. And we built this huge fraternity of friends who have all experienced club baseball. Um, and through those kind of common bonds and, and that success. And it's been, it's been an amazing kind of watching it from a distance now, but going through it was, it was, it was the, one of the highlights of my college career, actually. It was just so much fun. And, and we met so many people and, and the fact that I'm now, I started a business with those guys on that, that, that we all came together on that first team. It's been, it's kind of a cool story. Yeah. That's, that's crazy too, to think a club, or a non division one team, not only having all the organization to be able to do that, but that, that there are that many teams that were involved in that, that you, you just do not hear about that. No, Yeah. I mean, there was maybe, gosh, I maybe 50 or maybe close to a hundred teams at the time when we joined and 
because yeah, I mean, look, there was tons. I mean, and, and there's tons and tons of club baseball teams, collegiate baseball teams, right. but they, most of them lack the organization and and resources to even join a league. And so, but we took a run at it and 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 were able to sustain. A, I mean, a, a history of winning, which was really really cool. Yeah. Okay. So you go through college. How long? After college, is it that you and your wife end up hitching? Yeah, we we jumped right in. So um, we got married. Man, a lot happened in 2005. We got married the summer we graduated. I started working the, at Oregon Health Science University as an analyst where I started my 12-year career and um, moved to Portland. And that all took place in a 30-day period of time. So it was, it was a lot that wow. was kind of kicked off. <laughs> Um, in that period, but it was, it was incredible. I mean, so we, my wife and I didn't look back and we, we got married right after college. We definitely wanted to wait. So we didn't get married while in school. Very traditional, right? You know, we just mm-hmm. got married after college, uh, settled down and, and waited a couple of years and started having kids. And it's been an incredible ride, obviously ups and downs with anything, but it's been extremely, extremely positive. And how many kids do you guys have? We have two children. My, my daughter is nine which blows me away to this day. I just can't believe how quick they grow. Yeah. And my son is five. He is, um, he is entering the world of baseball now. So he played T-ball last year and will play single A coach pitch this coming spring. So I'm awesome. And last night actually was the board meeting for the local little league. And I showed up and <laughs> volunteered and jumped on a couple <laughs> different. I mean, I just, I want to be involved. I just love it. And, yeah, I have such great memories. Even like my dad was very involved in my little league when I was growing up, and he was the president of the league actually. And I, oh really? I, I kind of have the same like feel of fiduciary responsibility, where it's like I I need to help and be in you know not that I want to be in control. I that's not my personality. I'm not a control freak, but I just want to help and be involved, mm-hmm. and see as many kids have positive experiences out of their, uh, you know, their this time in the league as possible. And I just so I. I throwing my hat in the ring better or for worse we'll see how it goes it i coached i coached my son last year and that's so cool and that was a great experience but i definitely noticed his behavior because i was there as a coach was i think i think he this is tough and i i did not experience my dad didn't coach me but um i can imagine if my dad had coached me i would not appreciated the, the negative feedback or the criticism you know things that coaches do to help their players i think i would have taken it very not you know pretty poorly yeah and uh, i kind of saw that a little bit even as a five-year-old i think he didn't like me telling him what to do so i'm trying to work around that maybe maybe get him on a different team or something i don't know we'll figure something out. <laughs> my kids i have no idea where it came from Um, And I'm not just saying that because it's for the record, but my wife and I are completely stumped. They are so competitive and they take it so hard when they, when they don't get the involvement that they wanted to have, you know, if it's soccer, like they're not getting passed to enough or when they lose at anything, it's just, it, is mind blowing to us how they are because it's completely not us. And we haven't given them any example of this behavior and somehow they've picked it up. And so it's really difficult for us because my wife played softball and I played basketball and baseball. And, um, 
we want them to be in organized sports so bad, but we've held them out out of just sheer fear of, <laughs> you know, what the coaches will have to deal with and them just not even being able to do it. So it's a bummer. We're, we're at some point just going to have to like grit our teeth and do something because it, it just feels wrong for them not to be involved in team sports for us as athletes. Totally. Let them loose, Tim. See how it goes. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Right. I mean, who knows? Yeah. The viral video of like my kid smashing his coach with a (laughs) bat in the knee. I mean, that's, you know, Oh, that, that actually happened to me last year. Oh, seriously. Yeah. No, it was, it was my son. It was, he, (laughs) no way. For sure. For sure. It was the last, (laughs) we were doing a, uh, uh, kids versus parents scrimmage oh boy it closed out the season and the deal was we were doing live pitch so you know it was a t-ball season so every mm-hmm. games and everything was off the tee but for that last game or for that last scrimmage of the parents were like hey let's let's do live pitch and 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 the deal is you get three pitches if you don't hit it then we'll bring the tee out right mm-hmm. and <laughs> so we're like we went through like six kids and you know most of them had to get the tee out yeah a couple of them maybe hit the ball and then here comes my guy nate comes up and uh and i'm the catcher right and you know three first three pitches come swing miss you know swing and a miss swing and a miss so then i then i go grab the tee and he just yells he goes that's so embarrassing i'm not i'm not gonna hit off the tee (laughs) and i go nate you have i'm like nate you have to hit off the tee if you swing and miss three times right and i explain it to him again and he just took the bat and he just crushed my shin with it <laughs> in in disgust and he said this is just so embarrassing and he uh, and it was so it was tough i mean embarrassing was right i was like i don't even know what to do with that yeah so i let him go sulk storm off yeah and had to go focus on helping the next kid up but yeah so i <sighs> experienced that one of those proud parenting moments where you just want to bury your head in the sand a little bit probably 100 percent. Totally. yeah you I've, just, I've, you got to just move on. Yeah. Nothing, nothing to see here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's mad. Yeah. You are, so you are one year behind me exactly, even though I'm like medically, scientifically old enough to be your father, I think. <laughs> um, I, I, I have a, a 10 year old daughter and a six year old son. So um, okay, I'm just yeah. a little yeah. bit ahead of it. So are yours in fourth and kindergarten or are you in yeah we yes well very close we decided to hold my son back he's on the younger scale for his class so we held him back he's doing pre-k this year okay he'll go into kindergarten next year cool every day is just a new adventure with them i I mean i love being a parent yeah it is is what is everything they say is true about it It is some of your worst moments mixed with the best and Mm -hmm. and you know again our kids are young and we haven't even experienced puberty with them yet or, you know, and all that stuff, or maybe you're experiencing it a little bit now. I'm not sure, but you know, it's, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. I I just, I can't, I mean, I had this weird glimpse into my future. I think a little bit, my daughter's first day of, I think it was second grade. It might've been first grade. Actually, I get an email, my wife and I get an email from the teacher first day of, of first grade. Rem- and they and she asked us to remind my daughter's name is Mia. They said, "Please remind Mia that um, kisses are something oh. that should just be uh, done at home, you know, with mom and daddy." 
she oh, found boy. this boy and she started trying to kiss him. It uh, was like awesome. Perfect. I was like, oh. <laughs> they're actually today, I mean, you know, you know, four years later or whatever, they're still actually, this, my daughter and this guy, this young boy are really good friends. And she to this day says she's going to marry this kid. Four years later, oh. still saying that. So we'll see. It's your family line is just moving that date forward more yep. and more. Could be. It could be. I'm not to like say that your daughter is going to be getting married after graduating junior high, but they're they're meeting each other earlier. I will say totally. No, I I she's she's just an affectionate, loving you know kid, and and uh, she get. I, I mean, gosh, I. But what blows me away is that it's four years later. She's saying the same things about the same kid. I mean, usually those things, you know, two months in, you're like, oh, I'm on right. the next kid, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The crush has changed, and she's still talking about this one boy. So I don't know. We'll see, man. It's it's a weird. It, it's a glimpse into your future a little bit as you and like the hackles kind of go up. I mean, your you know your daughter's not, or it's only in first or second grade, but you're like all of a sudden you realize that it's something you have to deal with. Never thought yeah. about that, you know, until then. The great thing is that it's really easy to find uh, local monasteries online nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's not that is not beneath me. I, I want to go, go those directions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy thinking too, like about, you know, I don't know how much you do this consciously, but since becoming a dad for me, uh, there's, you know, times I've just been brought to my knees with wanting to immediately call my parents and apologize for anything and everything that I've put them through after I'm getting even a taste of anything that I did to them through my own kids. And the, the way that wheel just keeps turning through generation to generation of, um, the good and the bad is it's fascinating. It is. I even catch myself doing the classic, um, when I was a kid, I never did that. Or mm-hmm. like, I was never that mean to my parents. But you know, you, it's like it, you are. I mean, it's just the same yeah. thing. Yeah, different perspective. And I agree. I, I, uh, I was actually telling my my mom the other day. I was like, how much I appreciated everything she did. Mm-hmm. You know, them dry. You know, things like as their kids getting to sports. I mean, the 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 logistics of getting your kids from A to B just so you can make the soccer game and then you got to take your son to his, you know, karate practice, you know, whatever it is. It's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's a full time job just to, just to drive them around and you don't realize until you're doing it. And so I, I gave my parents a huge thanks the other day for just, you know, 20 years later being like, thank you so much for everything you did because it, it's exhausting. It's, yeah. it's absolutely exhausting. The time sacrifice, like, but it is really like when you're doing it, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe if social media existed when uh, your parents, when you were a kid or when I was a kid, gosh, I almost want to just spend some time like mapping this out and thinking of it as an actual idea. But, you know, would would your mom or my mom or all of those moms be posting pictures of wine and saying, you know, my, <laughs> my kids asleep and it's wine time for me or whatever, you know, like it's funny. The, you don't really think about it while you're doing it, the sacrifices that we do, because it is really like, for the most part, you are trying to give your kids their best life. And 
you know, that doesn't mean just spoiling them rotten, but you are, you know, protecting them and providing for them and wanting them to have great experiences and doing all of that stuff. And I think, you know, when you are able to get some kind of any little bonus, be it your inclusion as, as some part of the baseball team or league um, or, you know, those things that we are able to share with them directly, whether it's, you know, you now starting doing some of the card collecting and trading and whatnot with Nate and some of those things are just the humongous benefits to us that if we sit down at night, you know, I say this with my wife every once in a while, like, you know, he's, he can be kind of a mean kid sometimes, but he is pretty ridiculously cute. And we have this, this moment together today that made everything else go away. Basically. I definitely feel, I mean, I, I feel that all the time. There's moments where I just want to, Oh, I just want to just, would never shake my child, but there's moments where you want to, and then <laughs> yeah. and they do that one or two things, you know, that just almost make it all disappear. It's so crazy mm-hmm. how they can how they can do that, and that's that's evolution right there. I'll tell you. I mean, that is if if they couldn't do that, the kids would not survive for very long. Yeah, yeah. That was the uh, really olden olden days where somehow kids just didn't make it through their teens. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, it was a uh, polio. It was polio. That that was what took that neighborhood of children out. <laughs> As the parents are all sitting around the campfire talking about how great they're. I don't know. <laughs> I should, probably probably shouldn't explore that thought any further. It's getting dark here, but that's right. yeah, yeah. I know where you dark. go with that. Yeah. So I I think that a lot of that leads up to you being in the place that you are now. So tell me about where you and your buddies or whoever it was started to touch on baseballism and how that all came to be. Yeah. So the full story of baseballism is when we graduated college. Now I, you know, as I said before, I went off and got married, right? So I um, moved back to Portland, got married, um, started my family, started my, my full-time job. But one of my best friends and, and college roommate, Travis, he stayed in Eugene and I helped him through this process. He, he acquired a baseball camp in Eugene and with a, with a goal of just, you know, very, you know, it wasn't a money-making goal. It was like, I, I want to teach baseball right to these kids. Mm. I want to improve the educational fundamentals that they're getting. And I want to make these kids better baseball players. So he borrowed some money. He bought this baseball camp. He rebranded it to call it baseballism and he bought the dome like very into it which was great he bought the domain name baseballism Mm. and trademarked it and but really just again just just the thought of this is a commitment to just educating kids in the in the eugene oregon area with maybe one day it becomes something different but he did it for about two years and, and I helped from a distance, you know, setting, you know, doing the paperwork, setting up the company, doing all that kind of stuff. And he ran it with a couple of our other friends for about two years. And then after two years, you know, it's like, I got to, he had to go and get a, come more of a permanent real job. And, and, uh, you know, people around him were graduating and moving on. And, and so he did the same thing. So we folded the camp and just kind of closed it down. 
he moved to Portland, became a teacher. And in 2012, so if you kind of fast forward, right? So the camp started in 06, closed it down roughly 07. And then in 2012, um, my buddy Travis, you know, life gets in the way. Like, you know, I, I would see him every once in a while, but we weren't super, we weren't seeing each other every night for beers or anything like that. He's, mm-hmm. um, he shoots an email out and he put a bunch of people on it. Like, you know, all of the club baseball guys that we played with and plus a lot of friends he had met since then. And he basically said, and he wrote this email, this is an impassioned email to his friend saying, I want to revive baseballism, but I want to reimagine it as a clothing brand. And he had this whole spiel about how he thinks, you know, no one's really doing it right and how you could animate the baseball fan in a way that doesn't require you selling team marks and just using clever sayings and things that are just insider to baseball. And so he wrote this email, sent it out to, I mean, there must have been 35 people on this email. And he says, if you're interested in helping me, show up at my house next Friday at like, you know, six o'clock or something. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the only, like the, the people that showed up was, you know, me and the one other guy who helped them start the camp back in 2006. No one else showed up. And it was just, it was just, it made sense though. It was like, it was very, very, I think it was an obvious thing that, that we were connected to the name and, and the, the mission and we understood it. And in his house or in his condo uh, that he was renting, we just, we crafted the business plan, crafted the idea and the concept, reinstated the, the company and we started a Kickstarter campaign and which was successful. So we raised our first money through Kickstarter. We all threw in a little bit of money. And just started screening t-shirts and hmm. built the website. And it was one of those stories where like we were literally in his garage. In the beginning, it was his garage and then it moved to my garage. But uh, it was in his garage and we started shooting the product and designing and coming up with ideas. And what the, the, But the secret sauce, and I think this is important, and when I tell people about kind of our evolution of the business, what's really important is when you think back to 2012, social media was, was much different. Facebook and uh, Instagram wasn't even around yet. Or if it was, it was just, it was super small. Really, it was, it was, it was Facebook and, and Twitter. And the thing, what was different about social media back then was that you could build an audience on social media without having to pay for it. So you could, you could just start saying things, you know, posting quotes on Facebook and building audiences and things could go viral really, really quickly. And now what you have to do is you have to pay quite a bit. I mean, you have to, you have to pay money to access your audience. And so they've monetized the system significantly over the last five years. So we were with virtually no money. We were able to build, start building a social media platform and directing people to a website. And we started monetizing baseballism. The, the winner basically January 1st of 2013. And we just started selling and it was just one shirt at a time. Two sh- and then we, oh, one day we had two sales in a day, you know, and then, and then it was like, wow. And then started, all of a sudden it was like, wow, we had, we sold. 10 things this week. And that was like, man, we mm-hmm. started picking up and, and we, we kept hitting social media really hard and just building this ethos around things about baseball. Really the ism of baseball is just we're things of baseball and it took off. It just never stopped. And we took a very specific strategic uh, move, which is very, it was gutsy to be honest, but we decided we weren't just going to be an e-commerce platform. We wanted to we wanted to build brick and mortar stores. We thought that that was a differentiator. Let's, he's like, we were like, let's do this the right way. Let's, let's build stores. 
So our first store was in Cooperstown, New York. We went, you know, here is four guys. We're all in our, you know, late twenties. And we, you know, I had just turned 30 maybe. And, uh, we're like, let's, let's start a business in New York. And we're just, ma- we're going to manage it from Portland, Oregon. And I still was a full-time employee with my, with my employer. And in fact, oh. everyone, every single one of us had a full-time job and we were moonlighting this thing. And we decided to go open a store in Cooperstown, New York. And it just, it just exploded. It went, it went crazy. And we were like, wow, that was, that's, this is, could be something. And online <laughs> still, still kept growing. And we we're like, well, where else could we build a store? Right. And by this time we got one of our partners to jump on full-time. So we hired one of our partners full-time, which was a huge move. And we opened another store in Scottsdale, Arizona for, you know, the hardest spring training in the mm-hmm. Cactus League. And then that store just exploded. And so we said, okay, we've, we've got something here. This is more than, this could be more than just a date, you know, like a side job. Yeah. And we, we grew exponentially for a, a while. And in February of 2017, I was the last of the four founders to come on full time. And in that year, well, I should say, and this is so, and then within the last two years, we've uh, doubled our retail expansion, you know, our, our retail footprint. We now have a store and we have eight retail stores. Um, this year was a big move for us because we went to the really expensive big markets. We went to San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, and Dallas. And we put um, our own brick and mortar stores near the, the, the MLB franchises of those cities. Mm-hmm. And they've done really well. And they, they've been great brand presence for us and brand builders for us. And we think we're on to a model that makes sense. And we're going to just continue doing that. So awesome. When I, when I saw you guys putting up the spring training, non, I mean, what do you call those? The mobile store? The spring training pop-ups? Yeah. I was like, that is a, a genius idea <laughs> of like putting yourself right. There. It's almost like a vendor at a concert or at a venue or something like that, because you're just placed right where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And that getting the word out, especially because those are not just people from that place or for one team. So it's like, the hub of, I mean, you have two of them, obviously. Well, maybe not so obviously to people who don't care about baseball, but you've got Florida and you've got Arizona. So you've got two giant opportunities yeah. to give something to the ant army <laughs> to take back, to take back to all their queens, yeah. you know, and like just mobilizing pretty much like a whole group of, sales i mean your sales force and to some extent and i guess it's this way for companies that have a, a somewhat similar model that are doing it a lot on social but a lot of your sales force are your all of your customers and how much you guys get them thrilled about your products is like just the cherry on the cake because is the cherry on the cake cherry on the i don't know but <laughs> It's icing on the cake and then there's a cherry on top and then there's that other layer of frosting for the really crazy people and you know those candles that nobody can ever blow out (laughs) is where you guys are at um with all of that and how you work that in is it's 
awesome. No, I appreciate that. I, I think actually you you touched on something really important there too was the you know what I think is unique about a product and you know and there's uh, certainly there's other brands that do this as well but the product a lot of the things we sell are conversation starters so mm-hmm. if you our best selling product our best selling product of all time is a shirt that says 643 equals 2 so 6 plus 4 plus 3 equals 2 and that's how you score double play in in baseball and so what it is is when people look at that you don't know what that is right unless you know baseball and you feel compelled to approach the person wearing that shirt to say, I get that. Mm-hmm. We're on the same, we both understand baseball to a very deep level. And then you get so many people saying, what, what is that? Why does it, what, why is six plus four plus three equal two? Yeah. So these are, these are conversation starters and it creates a culture of people around it. And so you're right. I mean, people become kind of walking sales, you know, a sales force when they're wearing your product. If you have something kind of unique twist to it and it stops people in their tracks and it gets them to talk about it in a way that they would not otherwise and that's how they get to know about the brand yeah because ultimately what, what you say is oh this is baseballs i'm sure it's six four three two well what's baseballs and then all of a sudden now you've you've got a, a customer converting someone else into a customer so it's it's very unique it's, it's interesting and it's worked really well yeah well, clearly, I'm very excited about your guys. Well, I mean, not only because I'm a baseball fan, but I am always excited by cool business models and obviously a success story. Who doesn't love hearing a success story and what you guys have done in such a short amount of time and getting all kinds of people excited about it and into it and taking part in it is, I mean, like this sounds dumb and I always feel dumb when I say this to people, but really like, I hope you guys do sit down and feel proud of yourselves because that is something tremendous that you guys do. No, I, I appreciate that. And actually it's something that we need to do more of. We're very, we're sometimes we're so just, uh, we come, we come in and we're so focused on what's the next thing we're going to do that we, Mm -hmm. we don't take an opportunity to really sit back and say, you know what, we, we've, we've accomplished a lot and, and we should do more of that. So, yeah, I appreciate that. I know as a as a company and as a business owner and whatnot, you guys are always having to, you know, you, you don't want to rest on your laurels and you are always looking ahead and saying, how are we going to come up with something new and what haven't we done and what are we looking at? But like acknowledging, obviously, the successes is very important as well and being able to take that on. So, uh I kind of just flew through and give all gave all of you guys flying high fives right now. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so if your friends say, what the heck, somebody just smacked me in the face, just tell them, hold your hand up next time <laughs> or something. Cool. Well, uh, again, I, I love the story. I love where you have come from, from being in this crazy situation of being basically your youngest childhood years in Naples and thinking about what that could have been if you guys would have stayed there as opposed to coming out here, being in the PNW and getting your high school sweetheart and all of that and then building a family and building this tremendous company. It's it's a really cool story. So I'm glad you took the time out to share it with all of us. I, I, pre- I really appreciate you having me. I think this podcast, I, I just want to say that I, 
I think this podcast concept is great. And I bringing people out, bringing men out to talk about their, their fathers and their, and their past and tying it into their relationships with their, you know, their family, um, I think is a really great thing. So I appreciate you having me on. I was, I'm happy to do it. I was, uh, had a great time doing it. Of course. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I, I'm the end game goal really is like, I mean, not end game, but I am hoping down the line that our planet is around long enough that when your kids are in their twenties and whatnot, that they are listening to this podcast and then asking you, so what does shotgun wedding mean? (laughs) (laughs) I hope they don't know what that means. Yeah, I agree. That would be great. That'd be a win in my book. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will give you the opportunity. I don't know what all you want to throw out there for people to find you um, and baseballism at, but I'll let you throw all the plugs. All right. Baseballism is just www.baseballism.com. You can find us on all the social media apps. And I think really that really does it. If you're, if you know anyone who likes baseball, if you're into baseball, I think you'll be really attracted to a lot of our products. And I will say that we, we focus on not just guys. We have a lot of women's products. So we do leather handbags and glove leather, you know, purses and keychains and wallets. So we're really um, focused on everyone in the family, not just guys, not just players. Yeah, as well, like I will say, it's not just, I mean, you kind of touched on this. It's not just about teams. Like we're not talking about like wearing a Dodgers or a Red Sox shirt or whatever. This is stuff that is geared at not only kind of, you wouldn't say inside jokes of baseball, but things that people will know, but also, you know, your guys, your current baseball mom shirt is really cool. If my wife was one, I would buy her one as a gift. Um, But I know of a lot of baseball moms that would definitely enjoy that tank top or shirt or whatnot. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they, the mom, the baseball mom is a huge part of our, of our market and it's growing and, I think that's important to kind of highlight is that, you know, what sets us apart from other kind of baseball brands is we really do want to make sure that, you know, we're touching on everyone who loves the game. It's not just the player and it's not just the franchise affiliated, you know, person who likes the Red Sox or the Dodgers. I mean, this is really for everybody. Yeah. And I will uh, just to get this out there. Are you a Mariners fan? No, I know this is a I am a Braves fan. Oh, okay. And I am not ashamed to admit the reason why it's because when I grew up in the nineties, Turner uh, TBS was the only thing on that I yeah. could watch after school. And I grew up watching the Braves of the nineties. I mean, the Chipper Jones, Tom Glavin, you know, uh, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz. I mean, that whole team taught me baseball. So that mm-hmm. I, to this day, I, that's my, that's my fan affiliation. That's a much easier tell than when people ask me, why are you a Red Sox fan? And I have to go through this whole long spiel to explain why I root outside of my area. So it's all good. Yeah. So thank you again for taking all the time out, John. I really appreciate it. And for all of you, make sure you, if you haven't, check out Baseballism. For all of you in Boston, um, I know a lot of you all are, are out there. If you haven't gone to their store that is near Fenway, do you know how far away is it from Fenway, John? Oh, man, the store is right on Lansdowne, so it's right behind the Green Monster. Oh, there you go. So you guys have probably gone already, but make sure you go in there and um, 
get some cool baseballism stuff. They have stuff that is uh, also driven to specific areas and maybe only available in those Correct. stores. Yeah, so we do. We call it the homegrown collection. So there are items specific to that city that we will only sell in that store within the city. So make sure you guys go check that out. So thanks again, John. Thank you very much. I had a great time. And there you have it. That is the end of my conversation with one of the founders of Baseballism, John Loomis. What a cool story and what a great conversation. I really enjoyed having him as part of the podcast. And I'm so glad that we got that time. So thank you again, John and your wife, your family for allowing you to have that time. So make sure you guys check out Baseballism. And you can also check out Daddy Unscripted on the website, daddyunscripted.com. Daddy Unscripted is on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, all under Daddy Unscripted. And like I told John, if you have a guest that you want me to have on the show, stop thinking about it. I, I don't have telepathic powers, though I would like to every once in a while hold out my hand and make that kind of weird, like underhanded clock with it and be able to use the force. I can't do any of these things. So you need to take the time to either email me at daddyunscripted at gmail.com or on any of those social media platforms at me, send me a DM, do whatever you need to do to tell me this guy needs to be on your podcast because it is either your dad, your brother, your son, your friend's dad, the guy who is in all those Jason Bourne movies, Matt Damon, that you really want me to have on the podcast and you know how to put me in touch with him. These are the people that I need to have on. So you guys need to help me out with that and keep this ball rolling. I love all of the people that you have already led me to. You guys do a great job about that. So I appreciate it. I will say again, feel free to leave me a review and a star rating on iTunes. Um, I'm not doing any more giveaways, though maybe I will have to do a baseballism giveaway at some point. Maybe I'll talk to John about that so we can get some more reviews going. But I would love for you guys to do that. I love seeing your reviews. And I, again, I will tell you any reviews I get, I will read them on the podcast. Your name could be on this podcast. So that's your little incentive, I guess. Or just that you like my podcast and you want to let me and others know. That's also cool. Uh, So thank you again for listening. I will tell you guys, make sure you check out OsirisPod.com to see all of the other podcasts that are in that fantastic network. There are so many good ones. So you have such a bounty of them to check out, whether they're music, whether they're culture related, whether they now have comedy podcasts on there. Like there's so many cool things out there. So make sure you check that out. OsirisPod.com. And lastly, I will thank again, Umphreys McGee for allowing me to partner with them so that I could have their music playing right now while I'm talking and you can barely just kind of hear it and you'll hear it at the beginning and at the end much louder but make sure you check out umfreeze.com and since I greeted you in Finnish I will say adieu and not adieu that's not Finnish I will say goodbye to you in Finnish by saying which means bottoms up so if you're drinking get the bottom up <laughs>
Have a great day and rest of the week and keep your eyes open for the next episode, which should be out in a couple of weeks here. Thank you so much for listening.